Hello to our early stage founders in Vietnam, our aspiring entrepreneurs, and those just curious about the entrepreneurship journey. This is not just another VC podcast. AVV Founders and Friends is here to share candid stories about the founders in the ecosystem, really demystifying and bringing light to their early stage journey, especially those first six to 12 months. I'm Adrian. And I'm Ho. And we're the hosts of the AVV Founders and Friends podcast. Hi, everyone. We're your hosts, Adrian and Ho, and welcome back to ABB Founders and Friends podcast season one. We're sitting down with successful founders in Vietnam and Southeast Asia uh, to get a behind the scenes look on their first hires and early teams of their companies. And today we have a special guest, Kevin Hong, founder and CEO of Oyen. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kevin. Um, when Adrian and I were brainstorming potential speakers for the season, you were one of the first names that came to mind for us. Uh, and I know that you've had a lot of experience building teams at different organizations and in different markets. So I'm sure our audience would be keen to hear a little bit about that. Uh, how about a quick introduction? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Hal. So my name is Kevin. I'm the CEO of uh, OEN Insurance. We are a uh, digital uh, direct-to-consumer insurance company based out of Malaysia, Southeast Asia. I've always been interested in startups, um, even when I was studying in university in the UK. Uh, none of the consulting or investment banking jobs appealed to me, but the whole thing about digital um, running an online business appealed to me very early on. And as soon as I came back from the UK, I wanted to start my own business. So a lot of people don't know this, but I actually launched a food experience platform um, and, and it's called Hungry Hippie, right? And, and this was out of just me and my partner wanting to build something. Uh, so that was really my first experience into you know, bootstrapping and I even learned how to code. Uh, I eventually realized like that's not really my calling, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I figured growth was or, or building uh, operations was something that I was very interested in. And that was when Airbnb first decided to come to shore, come to come to the Asia, Asian shore. And they were looking for uh, you know, growth operators to, to launch their businesses in, in this part of the world. I spent five years there uh, in, in different roles. Uh, we always joke about how every six months we would have a new title and we would have a, we would have a new job scope. And that's because the business was accelerating so much. Um, and of course, after that, I, was, uh, uh, I, I, I stuck with tech and joined uh, different businesses in healthcare, uh, marketplaces and, you know, subsequently decided that it was time for me to come back home to Malaysia to, to start my own uh, business. Prior to joining Airbnb, I was actually uh, working for my family business and uh, the family business is in insurance. And I'll, and I'll tell you how I went full circle back to insurance. Kevin, um, to be 100% transparent, um, I know nothing about pet insurance. I've never owned a pet. So I'm really interested to learn what kinds of people are in this industry and building it alongside you and what motivates someone to come into this space. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, it was quite serendipitous. Uh, I came back to Malaysia just 10 days before the lockdown started. And I, I was then in this situation where I had to understand everything I need to know about insurance because my family business is insurance. Um, and I was sort of looking for opportunities where uh, we can make a difference in the insurance sector because it's such a traditional space where there's little to none innovation, at least in this part of the world. But but we, we want to start somewhere. Uh, and, and my partner and I were looking for a product that appealed to the younger generation, 
uh, the you know people people who are are more savvy digitally. And uh, we saw this product. It's called pet insurance. And you know when we did a couple of research, we we know that people around the world or in developed countries, the product is quite quite prevalent. Uh, people would buy pet insurance to cover for their vet bills. Um, and in this part of the world, it didn't really kick off. So we we soon found out the problem was because of the broken distribution channels. Um, and and so we thought that, hey, wait a minute, we can just build something that's direct to consumer. We don't need any agents. We just sell direct, right? Um, and then the the biggest pain point as a pet owner today, if, if you're just excited about this cute little puppy or cute little kitten, um, you have no inclination about what could happen. Pets don't tell you when they're sick. In fact, when they, they show that they're sick, it's probably quite late because they have quite high pain tolerance. So the uncertainty of vet bills is super, super high. So immediately, we took that as an opportunity to build our first product. And, uh, you know, and the rest is history. Like in, in 18 months, we are now providing, you know, uh, nearly 100 million ringgit or about 20 million US dollars of coverage uh, to, to pet owners in Malaysia only. And thousands and thousands of customers. Um, and personally, I, I always feel that the insurance industry lacks the authentic customer experience or, or the ability to provide delight or delightful user experience to customers because the whole system's broken. And I, I don't know how, I don't know if either of you have experienced an insurance claim, but no one's ever given you a call and say, you know, I'm really sorry to hear about what happened. Don't worry about the bills. We'll take care of it. Like here's a handwritten note, or I'm sorry to hear about your pet. Here's a customized keychain for you to remember your pet. Right? Like you don't expect that from an insurance company. Um, so to to me and to us, like we, we just feel like there's a huge opportunity to turn this around, and uh, pet is just the beginning for us. This um, this sounds like one of the most positive uh, experiences with insurance I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you mentioned a few things that were really interesting. You talked about digitally savvy um, individuals and working with the younger generation. But you also mentioned that, you know, pet insurance had it really taken off in this part of the world. So that brings us to the question, you know, who were your first three hires? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. My first hire is my co-founder. And, uh, and, and there is a lot of background story to that and more content that we can talk about because she's also my partner. Uh, so we were partner first and then we were stuck in, at home during COVID and we, we built this business together. Uh, the second hire is in customer uh, success. So she does both sales and claims at the beginning. She's, she's someone who was referred to me by my ex-employee. To me, it's always best to hire from people you know, either their friends uh, or people who used to work with your hires, right? Uh, the third OEM team member is uh, someone who is uh, doing growth marketing. He he was responsible for everything, you know, content, uh, uh, paid marketing, producing the right email marketing campaigns, the paid campaigns, uh, blogs uh, to drive SEO. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, under, under the domain of my co-founder. So she looks after growth and product um, engineering design. And then I look after sales, customer service, everything insurance with, uh, related. So these are the three early people other than me. Um, you mentioned that uh, your co-founder is your partner. And you said that you guys were partners first, and then you started mm -hmm. the business together. One, um, it's not that it's atypical, but it's 
sometimes cautioned against, like don't go into business with your partner, right? So what was that decision-making process like? And you, you talked about, hey, this person was referred to you. Did you have that conversation kind of together first and then the referral came? Or were, was kind of the prospect that your partner would join you in this business um, kind of remote and then you decided that it would happen after the referral? Yeah, I mean, with my co-founder, it was uh, quite a deliberate and very, very intentional decision. In fact, when we came out with the MVP, um, it was initially just me going to her and saying, like, and I need help on social media. Can you, can you help me with that? Um, and then it became like, okay, I, I need a, I need a designer and a software engineer for some code. And she's like, I know someone, right? Cause, cause she's been working here. I, I haven't been working here. I've been in Singapore and outside of Malaysia. So, uh, you know, and over time, it just, became clearer and clearer to us that like she's adding so much value to the business um and uh she she complements my skill set right and 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 that's very important because we don't want to be doing the same things um and and i think it took us about almost six to eight months to finally make the decision that she would join us she'll join me as a co-founder and being in this full time uh, and we definitely have had a lot of conversations about work and personal life, right? Like we literally have a separate WhatsApp chat for work and personal. Like the first thing we did was that because we don't want to mix work and personal, our personal life. Inevitably, it would be mixed, but we don't want it to be more convoluted, right? And that's very important. Um, of course, it's also important to sit down and talk about worst case scenarios, like what happens when things go south. Um, and, uh, on the more technical or rather, uh, you know, uh, on the more administrative stuff is to, of course, have like a proper shareholders agreement, uh, so that, uh, you know, all everything out, everything is spelled back in why, you know, if, if there is a separation, like what happens to the business, what happens to your share. So all those we've, we've really done, uh, all the due diligence. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's, it's also not very straightforward. It's not easy, right? Like, Communication is really important. Um, how do you how do you manage the 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 feedback loop? Like, how do I give feedback to my partner without it being personal, without getting too sensitive? I think you, you have to learn stuff from the personal communications and apply it to work and vice versa. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that, like, when this works, and 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 it does so far, um, it can be very very powerful. Because we're so in sync. And even though we're on the same page, like there's room for debate. There's room for like straight up feedback without holding back. You know, partners will do that to you. They don't hold back. Uh, so if, if your ego is high, like then you have to suffer. But then if you can manage your ego, like it can be very, very powerful because uh, not many things get buried under the rug. You just talk about it. Um, and, and the most important thing is how we manage ourselves in front of the team because that's also important uh and and you know we we, we need to manage that as well uh, but I, I believe so far because of our our sort of sort of frequency alignment uh it helps a lot with decision making and going forward and most important thing is supporting each other because right? running a business is not always easy there are down days and there are up days and you just want to have a co-founder who has your back there are so many uh, lessons in there, and I, I want to dive. <laughs> I want to dive into all of those. Um, <laughs> but let's yeah, let's talk about the growth marketer that you you guys brought on. Um, 
one, how did you really know like what you were hiring for? Um, was this kind of a joint decision between you and your co-founder? Um, yeah, I think it, it is a joint decision. Uh, you know, when we decide to hire people, it's always like, okay, can this person, can you scale up yourself with this person? Because mm. all the work was done by us initially. And then we needed to do other things to, in order to, you know, grow the business. So we needed someone to do the, the things that Michelle can do. Uh, Michelle's my co-founder. So she was doing, uh, you know, content, uh, email marketing. She set up the whole foundation, paid marketing. And we needed somebody who can do a bit of everything, right? Uh, and, and growth by growth at that time meant, uh, paid was our uh, big driver. Um, and we needed somebody who is analytical and, and also structured to run campaigns, to test, to experiment, uh, and can also run like email marketing, uh, quick to learn, uh, tools that we use, um, and also can do reporting very well because in the early days, you want to keep very, very close eye on your, your tech. Uh, and also managing your performance, like your leads, your conversion rates. I think he applied to LinkedIn or we reached out to him. Um, but the idea was that, uh, you know, we, we, we needed somebody who can wear multiple hats and he was the right fit. Uh, yeah. So, so that was our first hire. Uh, second hire. The other hire was, uh, somebody who can do, uh, customer success because when you're early in the business, you're in the financial industry, you can't rely entirely on, the online channels you have to call customers they want to make sure that they're speaking to a person uh, so it's important that we had somebody who can do chat we can do calls uh, both insurance claims and, and sales uh, so these were our two early early hires in the business it sounds like you've thought a lot about the skills and complementary skills um, which is important for any role to be filled in the early team, um, what we've heard other founders talk about is aligning on values, right? So were there any indicators um, of similar values with the people that you brought on? And what were they? Yeah. So, you know, the thing about, uh, and I've been in companies where values evolve and values were articulated very well, documented, utilized, and it, it can be a very, very powerful tool, right? Now, most startups don't know those values so early on. Uh, the, the startup's values are literally my values and Michelle's values, right? I think, I think those were the early days. Um, and, and, and I feel like it's a combination of all our past experiences on how we've seen, uh, the, the values were applied. And Michelle, uh, worked for a telecommunications company, uh, called Digi. They tend to rank very highly in terms of culture and value. And for me personally, it was Airbnb, right? Like there's no other gold standard, uh, when it comes to culture and hiring. I, I think what we were what we were intentionally looking out for are, are people who uh, definitely definitely must have startup experience. So the hustle and going against status quo, I say that a bit more mindfully now because like it's not always so straightforward to say. I just want to disrupt. Like when you're in a financial industry, you you can't you can't have that mindset. You need to have a partnership mindset. But the the point is that like people who just don't don't settle for the same things because we are coming up against. You know, insurance is a very traditional topic. Uh, secondly, is um, I, I I personally feel that what the insurance industry likes a lot is in how they provide customer service. We we always get our employees, or, or sometimes I do that, to you know put them in front of a customer or or, or give a customer a call to reject their claims. Um, it's not an easy thing to do rejecting claims, but 
if you're good at delivering bad news to people and people still like you and they still love you because they know you, you've tried your best, I feel like that's the kind of uh, uh, like the people we want to hire, right? Like being super good at communications and being good at being being a very good listener. Uh, so those were just some some points, uh, but of course for us, it's over time the culture is shaped by the new people you bring on board, and then you find more intersections uh, between people's personal values and 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 the culture of the company. Uh, like one and a half years in, I think we're at the stage where we can now start to find those commonalities, because you want the culture to also be built from bottom up. You don't want to say like, oh, you know, Kevin says this or Michelle says this, and then follow what we preach, right? It's a bit hard because then people don't feel included. Uh, so I think for us, like we we wanna we wanna find those little moments, little rituals that everyone, especially the first fifteen employees, can relate to, and then from there we will we'll be able to hire uh, the next ten, the next twenty, a hundred people at a more uh, at, at scale. Awesome! Thank you for sharing that. You talked about kind of insurance being a slow moving industry, and then you're attracting this group of uh, young, maybe individuals who have this, you know, rejecting the status quo. So this element of contrarianism, um, they don't necessarily mix well, right? And you don't find uh, somebody who embodies kind of the understanding of insurance, right? So how were you able to convince some of these people to join when the company was so early, especially like pet insurance, right? Which is already like yeah. an underdeveloped industry. You know, I, I, I feel like our biggest, I wouldn't say bait, but actually it is a bait. <laughs> our biggest bait to a lot of people was that like we're doing something completely different. Selling pet insurance. Like we're not selling life or auto. If you talk to pet owners, they have complete fanatics. Three months in or six months in, you're like, I, I know 10 different places where you can get 10 different type of, types of wet food. Uh, or like, I know this groomer is good and that groomer is not good. I, I think the thing about the pet community is that it's, it's so, it's so strong. And, uh, and the, the appeal is that it, it, it's, it's a topic that is completely different from your usual boring stuff, right? And, and building a business is always finding your beach hits, right? Similarly for your employees, like, uh, you know, finding your beach hit employees who would believe in that one thing that you do. And then, our challenge is then to get them excited or get them to learn about insurance and then scale the product to more than pets, right? The problem with corporate insurance is that no one relates to them anymore. All they think about is distribution, distribution. How can we sell more? How can we sell more? But people don't stop to think, what what is insurance all about? It's how you slice and how you tell the story about insurance. And I know it long enough to understand the intrinsic value of insurance. And the intrinsic value of insurance is trust. It's an entire topic around your life. It's about risk. It's about giving you a peace of mind. Uh, it's about helping people. It's about impact, right? We talk about pet insurance like we're helping all the pet owners, right? Not just sell, 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 sell. Like that's been the the gen- generic way of people talking about insurance, even for startups, right? And hopefully we're, we're, we'll, we do it differently and get more bright-minded people to join us. Kevin, I feel like after this conversation with you, we'll have much more of a, a, a positive impression of insurance as an industry. Thank you. 
I'm glad <laughs> somebody, somebody, somebody should pay me for this. Um, I want to double click on something that you said earlier on when you were introducing your first three hires or first three team members. Rather, you said that it's always best to hire from people you know. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of founders know on principle, um, but they are unsure how to go about in practice. So do you have any advice for founders on how to leverage their network or expand their network in order to find potential first hires? Man, there's a lot of hustle, just like everything. Um, I mean, I treat hiring as just a sales pipeline. You know, there's, there's no, there's no hacks around it. You know, it's, it's a numbers game, uh, just like how fundraising is. Like you would just get a hundred no's out of a hundred and two people that you talk to. And then just two investors is enough, right? Uh, it's the same for hiring because even if you have the right fit and even if somebody wants to join you, it might not be the right timing. Um, and I, and I think there's no two ways around it. Like you just have to sit down and go through all your contacts, build a pipeline. Uh, ask for referrals, uh, talk about your business, and and because it's early days, right? So people will be skeptical uh, about your, about your work, um, and and use that as an opportunity to plant the seeds, right? Um, because they might not join you today, but they may be your tech lead one year mm -hmm. from now, yeah, right? Yeah. And if they don't join you, they may refer somebody who join you. Like when you get one person to to buy into your vision, even if they don't join you, they'll talk to other people, right? Mm -hmm. They'll say like, oh, I know this founder, like he's doing something super interesting, got some traction already. Do you want to talk to this person? Uh, so going back to my contact is the most natural first step because like people know me and I know them and I trust them because I've worked with them before. So having a pipeline from like referrals help. I stop people on LinkedIn a lot. Um, I always run out of my free credits, like the free search Right. Um, but, uh, write a really good cold introduction message, uh, just to talk to them. Like, Hey, you know, I see that you've been in this company for a while. Like, like I want to learn about your career growth, take interest in them. Mm -hmm. So selling is not just like you wanting to tell them stuff, but like, how can you help them? Right. Offer, offer value to them uh, and then get on the call with them so that you can pitch to them. Um, last advice, I don't know, not advice, but last thing that we think works is hiring your customers. We've hired people who are our customers before, right? I think that's that's really just the best, like keeping it in the family also because they know your business. They love your product. From my understanding, a lot of early Airbnb people were Airbnb hosts and, mm. and guests, right? So everyone has been a host before and then they applied. Uh, that's usually a good indicator of your business, right? Um, that you're able to get these early adopters to become employees. Uh, and, and that could also be a deal flow for you. Absolutely. You know, what, I, what I'm hearing you talk about, you talked about selling insurance, there's really a human element that you've brought into not just the hiring process, but also the insurance industry itself, right? You talk about uh, intrinsic values of trust, right? Community. Question is, you know, when you're finding high performers and you have people who are buying into these values, right? Um, they really want to be a part of this. Hiring can still be really difficult, especially for early stage companies because of funding, right? You don't have funding. It's hard to bring on that dream person that you've connected with. You have this great conversation. Um, so how do you recommend or how did you navigate um, hiring at an early stage when you're constrained by funding? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, when we started our MVP, we hadn't raised then. We had only raised in uh, June. 
so we didn't we didn't have the money. We didn't have the funds. Um, it was just our personal money, and we were we and we need to get talented people to to run the business. Right. The idea is to not think about hiring them full time right away. The idea is that like think about building something with the least amount of effort to just get it out there, because we we don't need these people to work like eight hours a day to 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 put out that MVP. Realistically, it's like one hour a day um, because we want to prove that next thing. We wanted to prove that people would buy pet insurance online, right? Uh, and we literally get people to work on contra- on a contract basis for us. And we went to the drawing board and said, what would cost us the least amount of money to get this going, right? So as you're, as you're selling the dream to these like amazing people, um, you're also telling them that, okay, you know, we're going to take this one step at a time. Right? Like, I don't have the funds now, but can you just help me design a logo? Or can you just, do you know Webflow? Like, can you just help me build a five-page Webflow? And uh, like, how much do you know about Google Script? Can you just put together a script so that we can automate, generate things from Google? And we don't have to build anything. It's like just hacking and automation. There's so many, like, there are no, there's no better time to build a business uh, than now because the tools that are available out there allows you to test things super quickly and and at super minimal cost. Um, and the, these people that we get help from, like, of course we want them to work full-time for us, but they they need to see our milestones in order to, to take that leap. We're, we're co-founders, so we're different. We have uh, we have this, like, insane amount of positive, bi- like, positive bias because we, we, we tend to think that everything's possible, but not for these people because they have their jobs, they rely on salary, so they, they need to see your milestones. Okay, you know, we need this, this, this. So as we build this MVP, as you see uh, uh, customers starting to pay us, uh, we know that we're we onto something. And then we use that to raise funds. Because what you need is just that proof of concept to then be able to go out and raise funding. The question you have to ask yourself is that, do you need this expensive person at this point of time? Or can you go for a cheaper solution? Right. I'm just talking about like pre seed seed company, right? And most of the times you really don't need to pay a, someone ten thousand US dollars a month, right? Unless it's like a super engineer who can build many things uh, or replace more than two or three engineers. And this is in Southeast Asia, yeah, just to put it into context. Um so so yeah, I, I think there there's more to that, like more questions to ask before you say I can't afford this person. I love that. I love that. I think that's very interesting, right? Think creatively about how you can leverage somebody that you want to bring on, maybe not full-time, but give them more limited scope. Uh, so it will be l- less commitment for them, uh, less risk for them, and also give them s- some time to build conviction um, mm-hmm. towards your business, right? And convert them uh, slowly. I like that a lot. And negotiate with them, right? Like you also want to negotiate and say, okay, you know, give me your friend's rate or best rate. <laughs> uh, and then when, when we hit this milestone, we will increase your pay because we... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what happens after hiring, right? People don't really uh, talk a lot or talk enough about, you know, what happens after you bring on that person that you really want to bring on? How do you set them up for success? How do you make sure that they thrive in your team and will continue to stay with you? Uh, when you were mentoring for one of our uh, programs for women entrepreneurs, you raised that as a really important point. Today at, 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 at OEN, 
we want to make sure that everyone gets onboarded uh, very, very intentionally. I think the first two weeks typically make or break your, your time in the company. Mm. Uh, we have like a complete schedule for them. So uh, we deliberately think about, okay, what's important in the first day, second day, third day, and we paste the content so that it's not like these are all your work, right? Uh, that's, that's always difficult because they don't have context. So it always starts with like more high level stuff. So the vision, the, the history or like teaching them insurance 101. Um, and then, uh, and then depending on their roles, they'll go deeper and deeper into different topics. Uh, and then there's, uh, like talking to them about the, uh, um, you know, w- w- walking, walking through, uh, them on the, uh, the tools of the company. I think that's like, there are a lot of little things that if you're a new joiner, uh, if it's not there readily for you, like you're just wasting time looking for it and it's not a it's not a good practice or it's not a good host right to to um to not give your employees all these tools because uh you might miss one thing and then three months in you realize that you could have gotten in on your first week mm. right like the the, the trade-off is super high if you don't get it right on the first two weeks right uh and and, and i've seen this happen in some companies like what i didn't know there there's a depository of all our resources somewhere <laughs> I didn't know that I can do this. So, uh, you know, everything, like giving them all the access. I know these are basic stuff, but if you're a small small company, there's no excuse for you to miss out on these things. Um, like you just can't have uh, a founder that says, okay, here's the first and now go figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's good practice, no matter how small or how busy you are, like getting them uh, set up for success is important. And then the second week is normally things that are more future uh, looking. So, uh, what's the vision of the business? How will we potentially evolve? Uh, what's our company OKR? Uh, you know, how, like setting goals for them. So then they know their individual goals rather than you just like letting them float and they don't really know what they're measured against. Uh, and then, and then the rest are more company level stuff. Uh, getting them to know like HR policies or people policies. Uh, those are the more basic stuff, but, um, I, I always want to capture the, okay, you know, what do you what do you want to make out of this next couple of months or this next couple of years? Like, what what are you, you know, what do you want to learn? Uh, uh, and then going back to that notes that I took on the first week and say, like, what have you done for this? You you told me that you wanted to, you know, learn about people management. Like, how can we help? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, so so I I think that's that's important. Awesome. Yeah, and then also having a buddy. A buddy is important. Because yeah, sometimes absolutely. there are things that you don't want to ask your CEO, right? Like, where's the toilet? Or, <laughs> uh, so, so having a buddy is important. Absolutely. Um, and from what I know, you made some mistakes as well as a, a people manager, as a leader in the team. So I'd love to, to dive into that. What are some of the mistakes that you made in the past when you manage these people? You know, the thing about being a people manager is that there isn't always a formalized training program for you to be, be a people manager, especially in your early days, especially if you're working with early stage companies, right? And you just sort of have to pick it up yourself or like read stuff or uh, Google stuff, right? But, but they're not always very useful uh, in, in practice because nothing beats having personal experience. Uh, so, you know, when I was transitioning from these companies as an individual contributor to Suddenly, when I join a new company, I have to be a people manager overnight. You're just kind of 
learning as you go. And I think the, the biggest shift is the mindset shift, the mindset of like, okay, now I'm responsible for another person's growth and another person's well-being. It's not just about me because all this while is just about how can I learn the most or how can I grow the most? How can I make the most impact? It's always me, me, me. Um, so I think everyone needs to get that mindset shift and uh, we need to detach ourselves from like relating good individual performance to being a good manager automatically because it's not a straight transition. Um, so personally for me, I think it took a while for me to switch gears to that mindset. Uh, so where I had made mistakes was not really understanding what the role of a manager is, right? To me, it was more about okay, getting getting things done, like checking things off the list and just let's just go, 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 right? Um, and it was never about the other person. It's never about asking about, okay, you know, what are your, you know, what, what do you want to, what do you want to achieve or what are some growth, growth areas or getting a bit more involved in their personal lives, right? Like as much as they want to share. Um, because you're meant to be there as a support system. Um, so I think I never had that mindset shift. So when I was working with one of my, my previous uh, teammates, I went a little too much on the let's just get shit done versus like, okay, let's take a pause. How are you doing really? Like, how are things going? And I think over time that, I mean, because I didn't do that at that point of time, I just felt like there were more, there, there was a growing distance with me and my, my team member. And it slowly became quite toxic, right? Like toxic in the sense that other employees could sense the tension in the room. Like mm. this person's not talking to me and mm. that's bad. And I just felt like at one point I, I somehow couldn't recover the relationship anymore. Like something had snapped because uh, maybe she uh, just felt like, you know, just felt abandoned by me or I just didn't care. Um, so ultimately uh we, you know, I, we had to get the founder involved and you know it was this wasn't pleasant mm -hmm. uh and and especially when your team gets bigger and bigger right uh and uh having the conversation of communications is key i remember when i was in airbnb one of my managers uh set all of this down and we spent half a day talking about communications like what pissed me off uh what mm -hmm. motivates me literally like down to the details of i hate people writing email like this <laughs> I hate it when people don't schedule like time because then, then you're getting to an alignment of communications because if you never had that, you wouldn't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I learned a tool about uh, personality preferences. So it's the insights discovery. So we use that a lot at Airbnb and it's uh, using colors as a way to describe your communication style. Mm. So we break it down to like red, blue, green, yellow. If you're red, you tend to be more brief, succinct, decisive, aggressive. If you're green, you're more consensus building. If you're blue, you're more logical, analytical. If you're yellow, you're more like uh, inspirational and just very high level. You're more charming, right? Uh, so each color has its disadvantages and advantages. And we just need to understand each other, right? Because if I don't know your color type, I may think that you're doing this intentionally. Rather, I will blame you for not adapting to my style. But I've never told you what my style was, right? So, so then there's a breakdown in communication. So that, that's super important at the start. Uh, and then uh, 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 the communication is one, but the other one is the personal growth because not, not everyone may want to be doing the same role forever. Uh, some people may have things that they like secretly want to do, but just never got around doing it. Uh, or some just want to be an IC forever. Like they just want to be a people manager. 
I think having that conversation is important and like documenting it. Like I document all of our sessions when it comes to growth and communications. Uh, because one day I might not be their people manager. Somebody else will be, right? And I want to mm-hmm. have good, good documentation on like Joey is like a green, yellow, and he or she wants to grow in this way within a few years. And then I think ultimately the, the empathy skill is super, super important. Um, I'm not a naturally empathetic person. Like I'm very open about this. I took me many years to come to a point where like I have to build this skills. I, I have to build this skill. Uh, and through practice, right, and uh, and use it use it in a way that will help support other people, especially being a founder and the CEO of a company, because you're at a natural disadvantage with your employees in the sense that people might not always tell you the bad stuff because they wanna they wanna say good things to you, they want you to hear good things, and people might not give you feedback openly because they are afraid of pissing off the CEO. So you're at a natural disadvantage and you have to cover the gap. And every leader has to do that, right? You have to create a, a safe environment for them to give you feedback, right? I mean, that's that's how people want to be managed these days. They no longer want to be managed by fear. So if you want to bring in the brightest and the most talented people, you have to build the ability to support them. Uh, and personally for us, like I have so many employees who've had Family problems, family problems that affected their personal lives and then affecting their performance. And it's difficult because on one hand, we want to support. On the other hand, we have a business to take care of. Like, what's the right balance? Uh, and, uh, and team member that like just we have to give feedback while they are facing difficulties in their personal lives. Like, how do you do that? So these are all unique challenges and everybody is different. Got it. Wow, so much to unpack there. Yes, founder, right? Your hopes, dreams, fears, um, aspirations. And as you're, as you're building out the organization, that naturally is translate into different uh, relationships that you have within the team and the way you work and stuff like that. Um, but as more people join the organization, then the company starts to be a manifestation of themselves as well, mm-hmm. right? And so being able to uncover all of these in these conversations that you're having with the team, I think is really powerful. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and at some point, it's it's not just your company anymore. Um, it's the, as much as it is the employees, your customers, your stakeholders. Um, and, and, you know, you're there to make sure that uh, there's a core, right? Like you, you wouldn't want it to go astray. Right, like so that's why values are called core values because it's impossible to keep all the values. I hate to borrow a term from Airbnb, but like I want people to feel like they belong here because it's very difficult to find a place where you can be your best self mm. uh, and 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 enjoy your everyday uh, uh, and, and enjoy your day like working in a in a company. Just a quick follow up on that. Um, something that something else that stands out is that you're very intentional about all of this, right? And maybe that comes from past experiences. You're fundraising, you're growing the business, you're hiring new people, you're managing these people. Do you have any routines that help that would help other founders maintain that level of intentionality? I, you know, it, it starts with a mindset of loving the people aspect of the, about the business like i think 99 percent of business are run by people unless you can build a business that like can completely eliminate that 
So you you need to enjoy the people building part, like mm. the coaching, the growing, the culture, uh, the value, like building values. Uh, depending on what stage of a business, like rituals do help. Uh, you know, especially when you're small, and the rituals just evolve, right? Like it can be uh, when you're ten people, you celebrate everyone's birthday, and then, but when you're a thousand people, you can't do that. Like you just got to change your your rituals. So we we do like. We, we do have our sessions intentionally, like games nights or like board games, you know, all these other smaller stuff. But to me, uh, having offsites, even if it's once, like twice a year, I would give it a good frequency at, at early stage, uh, is to like get the team to take a step back and to, and to, to, to do activities or to conduct activities that are more culturally related, value, uh, core values, um, uh, and also communication related. Okay. So we've heard you talk to founders about the reverse sales tactic. Can you share a little bit more about that and maybe share the reverse pitch for Oyen? The reverse sale is usually the, the, the last route or the point where you know they're interested, um, but it's the time where you want to put all the expectations up front, right? Because when I'm selling to you, 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 you're, like, you're super excited about it, but I need to manage your expectation at some point. And that's about like, okay, having said that, we're still a startup and you are, you will wear multiple hats and we don't have a lot of structure. If you want to join us, you have to expect that, you know, hours are going to be long uh, and like, we still have to deal with our insurance company today and that might be shitty. Um, and uh, uh, we don't have a product manager, surprise, surprise. Um, for like our engineer just left last month. Uh, and you know what? This is the reality of startups. Uh, I know that you're from corporate and you may have all these resources in hand, but, uh, I want you to think hard about like joining us because this might not be for you. Um, uh, but if you want to make an impact and, you know, uh, be a part of history, then maybe we are the right company for you. So you should think about it. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think the point is always, once you like, you don't want to oversell and make people think that you're jo they're joining some kind of, you know, everything is perfect company, uh, and you want to pull pull the brakes a little bit. Hence the reverse selling. Speaking like a true insurer, <laughs> managing expectations, <laughs> like, yes, you were, there, right? Yeah, there's <laughs> the what's excluded in your policy. You know, I just want to be upfront. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that. Absolutely. Uh, well, that transparency, um, that managing the expectations, it goes back to the idea of building trust, right? Of so, course, of course. Uh, it's, it's like less reverse sales than really just like, hey, this is what you're really stepping into. That's um, true, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, Kevin. Um, no really problem. appreciate the time with you today. A lot of gems you dropped. Yeah, looking forward to hearing more about Oyen and the growth, right? And maybe that uh, some of our listeners are interested in joining uh, you on your journey. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, no if you ever get a corgi uh, as an office pet or uh, your company mascot, then you might have a chance uh, converting me into a <laughs> Just giving you a little bit of a tip there. Sure, sure. Okay. Corgi, I'll, I'll remember. 
Yes, joking aside, thank you so much. Uh, it's a, a pleasure, and uh, I really enjoy our conversation as well. So, likewise, thanks. likewise, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the ABB Founders and Friends podcast. This is Hope and Adrian. We'll see you next time.